630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Calgary Flames with a 2-1 lead on the Pittsburgh Penguins with 13 minutes left. All these games here in the third period. Sharks up 3-1 on the Sabres. Rangers up 3-1 on the Ducks. And the Capitals a 3-0 cushion on Carolina. In the second period, Toronto 1, Dallas nothing. Blues 2-0 edge on the Senators. 2-2 tie between the Blue Jackets and the Wings. Lightning lead the Kings 3-0. Predators out in front of the Canucks, 2-1. Wild lead the Jets, 3-0. Those were all second-period scores and just getting underway, the Canadians and the Avalanche. The Oilers will be back in game action. Oh, the Capitals just scored to go up 4-0. The Oilers will be back in action Saturday night. That'll be Chicago in town, 8 o'clock face-off at Rogers Place. Your Eskimo schedule out today. You can get more on that on 630Ched.com. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on 630Ched. And I'm pleased to welcome to the show. I've been watching this guy patrol the sidelines in the CFL for a long time. Finally get to talk to him, Jeff Reinbold from the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Jeff, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? I'm awesome, man. I'll tell you what, though. You brought back some not-so-warm memories of Edmonton when I was there because it said minus 21 feels like, I don't know, <laughs> minus 100. Uh, it's it cold today. It me very much of the year I spent in Edmonton. I'm going to say what, great fans, great people, really bad weather. What year were you here, Jeff? I can't remember off the top of my head. I was I was there in 95. We had a pretty good football team. Ronnie Lancaster was the, was the head coach, and uh, we made it to the to the Western final against uh, against Calgary and Doug Flutie and got beat, but I had tremendous, tremendous, you know, time there. Jed Roberts and Leroy Blue and Malvin Hunter and, you know, on and on and on and on and on. Just really, really good guys and good people. And, you know, they have that saying in the locker room, you know, once in Edmonton, once in Eskimo, always in Eskimo. And I thought, you know, that's kind of hokey when I first walk in there. And then all of a sudden I meet there's Kepley, and you know, all of a sudden, the guys start, the guys start rolling in. Larry Ruck and all of them, and it's like, oh man, this really is something. Well, it's great to talk to you. I mean, I want to talk about the Super Bowl and what you were doing in Europe because that's a great story. But I mean, I got, I got to get just your individual story because I only know it in bits and pieces, and I, I remember you the best. Um, as the the head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I, and I think those might have been tough years in Winnipeg, but we'll skip over that. How, but how did you how did you first come to the CFL as a coach? How does a guy from South Bend, Indiana, wind up coaching in the CFL? Well, you know, it's kind of a funny story because uh, I went to school at the University of Maine, and at Maine you could get on television you could get CFL games and. Uh, you know, I remember that was in the days of Rocky DiPietro and, you know, that era of player was playing. And, you know, obviously the Eskimos were the, the kingpins at that time and, you know, five great cups and the whole deal. But I just became a fan of the game. I loved the game. I loved the op- wide openness of the game. I loved, the, you know, the motion. I loved all of it. And 
really, um, then I, I the, my coaching journey started, and I met a guy by the name of Greg Newhouse, who um, at that time was the defensive coordinator at BC, and Greg and I became friends, and at, at one point we were coaching together at the University of New Mexico, and, and uh, Bob Obilovich had tried to hire Greg as the defensive coordinator back in BC, and uh, Greg didn't take the job, but he said, hey, Obi said, you know, we got the, we're looking for a special teams coach. You know anybody? And he goes, yeah, we got this young guy down at down in New Mexico that loved to coach in the CFL. And I'm going to tell you something, man. I had not coached a down of special teams. <laughs> so Obi calls me and he, Obi calls me and goes, can you coach special teams? I said, yep. <laughs> I lied my way into the job. And I've been, I just keep moving. So since that time, I just <laughs> try to stay one step ahead of the bullet, you know. Well, well, you, you've crafted out a great career, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that it that it's over by by any means. But uh, uh, you've obviously uh, coached uh, with and against a, a lot of great players, and, and now you're with Hamilton. And now, so now Hamilton, you're the defensive coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, what what did you have? Do you have a if you're not the head coach, do you have a favorite coordinator type job? Well, yeah, I think you know, coaching on defense is certainly the most challenging aspect of football and in, in, in pro football really now because the rules in the NFL have really become very similar to ours up here and, and ours to theirs with the five-yard no-chuck zone and all of that. And, uh, you know, it's funny when I, <laughs> when I got named the defensive coordinator, I got two friends of mine in the NFL sent me texts and they said, are you out of your mind? <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> coaching defense in the CFL? But it, it's such a great league. It's just, I mean, and I've been so fortunate to be around so many great coaches and great players, and it's almost like you, you shouldn't start naming names because obviously you're going to leave somebody out. But maybe the single biggest influence, you know, and just in terms of how you play and uh, philosophically and in, in how you play defense in this league has been Don Matthews. I, I just, Don really was, I don't know if the league will ever appreciate how far ahead of the curve he was and how he really drugged this game forward and you know particularly when it comes to the the aspect of playing defense okay i gotta ask you more about that was that um was that pressure was that coverages was that deception what did don do that was so good you know it was it was a lot of it it was all of those things plus you know i I, and and it was it transcended defense because i i first ran into don as a like I say, a young guy that wanted to come up and coach in this league, and I was a guest coach in BC, and you know I can just remember his approach. The special teams was so far ahead of everybody else at that time. It was all about matchups, how I can get my good player against your not so good player, you know. And, and he, I mean, he was so forward thinking, so out of the box thinking, and. Uh, and then on top of it, you know, he had that personality that, that uh, I think endeared him to his players, but, you know, maybe alienated the media to a certain degree. But he really didn't care because, you know, he realized that he was there to win football games. And, you know, uh, one of the most treasured memories I have was when I was in Edmonton, Hugh was still around and he was the general manager and, you know, it was in the corner office. And at that point, you know, I, I had coached over in NFL Europe and came came to Edmonton during training camp and didn't have a place to stay and all that so I was just sleeping in the office 
and I used to use the evening hours to go down to Hugh's office and just pick his brain and just the incredible amount of football knowledge that he had. He had an uncanny ability. I was coaching special teams for Ronnie at that time, and I remember working on a fake uh, one week against a specific opponent, and Hugh just kind of walked over to me the day before the game and in that Hugh Campbell way, you know, didn't he just kind of looked, didn't even, it was like he was looking at something else. He goes, uh, kid, uh, I think you better hold on that one for a week. <laughs> and it was just the way, just his, just his uncanny way of having a, a pulse on what, what needed to be and what didn't need to be. And so Edmonton will always have a special place in my heart because, uh, uh, you know, my youngest son was born when I was during that season. He was born uh, about week ten of that season, and uh, like I said, Willie Pless and you know, all those guys were just such wonderful guys to be around. And um, Trent Brown, and you know, I mean, gosh, as you start picking my, you know, that's a lot of players to go, but I still remember those guys because they were such great guys. Dwayne Mandrusiak, their their equipment man. Every time I go into Edmonton, I always make sure I spend time with Dwayne because he is the classic. Yeah, well, yeah, very popular guy here in this community. Jeff Reinbold, Hamilton Tiger Cats defensive coordinator, joining us. Hey, I, I, so much I want to ask you, but but if my listeners would be upset with me if I did not throw you this one. 1994 right. Las Vegas Posse. Now we all remember them from the for the botched nath- national anthem, and I think you guys played your final home game in Edmonton because you weren't getting enough uh, support there. Yeah, it was actually an amazing story because with about six or eight weeks to go, the team went belly up, and we went from we had a we had an owner named Nick Maletti who, um, I mean, Nick was Nick was. Nick was Nick, and he had, we went from having, I don't know, $4 million in the bank to be bankrupt in August. So we, we, two, a couple things happened that year that I will never forget. was Number one, we're, we fly to Ottawa to play a game. And the morning after, because you, you don't fly, at that time you certainly didn't fly charter, you fly commercial. Right. So, <laughs> we, so the next morning we're getting on an Air Canada flight to go back from Ottawa to Vegas. And we start to taxi. I swear to God, this is a true story. We actually pull out from the, from the uh, hang, whatever that thing is, the hangar or whatever you call it, and we're starting to taxi down the tarmac, and the plane shuts down. And so we're thinking it's some sort of, <laughs> some sort of mechanical error or something. And all of a sudden, word starts drifting back that the credit card that the posse had used, that Nick had used to pay for the flight back and bounced. And so the team, the team was stuck on the tarmac. And the league had to step in and, and cover the flight to get us home. And that's when we knew we were in trouble. And then after that, we would, I, again, these are, these are stories I'm going to write a book one day, but we would have a scouting report from one opponent and then flip it over the next week and and mimeograph on the other side the next week's opponent because there didn't have any paper left. Oh my! And it just went it went downhill from there. And then we're getting ready to play our last game, and it's supposed to be the Eskimos in Vegas. And the league, who was running the team at that time, said we will lose less money by sending the team to play in Commonwealth Stadium 
than playing another game in front of 300 people in, in Las Vegas. So it was an experience, man. I, I, this, Like I say, this journey that I've been on in the CFL has been the most amazing thing. And I'm one day I'm going to write a book, I think. Oh, well, I'll, I'll be first in line to get it for sure. Uh, I, I kind of know the answer to this, but it'll be a lot more interesting if you tell it. Why did you spend the last few weeks in Europe? What's going on there? What's your role? Well, I'm going to tell you something. It, it just—it really was a... It's been something that I've done now for about almost eight years, ten years, I guess. Um, and it happened strictly by chance. I was working for... After I got fired in Winnipeg, I went over and worked in NFL Europe and then worked for the NFL. The NFL has a league office in uh, London. And they broadcast, at that point, they were broadcasting NFL Europe games, and they used those games as, Fox used those games as kind of a proving ground for young wannabe TV guys. And Troy Aikman started there, and Moose Johnson started there, and Baldinger started there, and Bill Moss started there, and all of them really got their start there. Well, Darren Woodson was supposed to come over and do a game, didn't something happened with his family, couldn't come at the last minute, and so the head of NFL the NFL office in London said, hey, you, you kind of fooled around with TV and when you're in Canada, didn't you? And I said, yeah. He goes, you want to go on and do, do the game? So I just went in there like, hey, it's like you and me talking, right? right. Watching the game. <laughs> Lo and behold, the, the uh, president of Sky Sports was watching that broadcast and said, hey, uh, that blonde guy, why don't we get him back here? He's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> so it's turned, into a, it's turned into kind of a second career. So as soon as we're done in the CFL, I got a great situation here. Kent is very, you know, very understanding. He allows me to go over and I broadcast the games in December and January, and then on through the playoffs to the Super Bowl. So it's been a lot of fun. All right, well that's cool. Uh, a couple, just a couple more quick ones for you, Jeff. How did that happen on Sunday? That comeback. Uh, you know what, man? I'm going to tell you something. That was the craziest thing, and and it, it's. It's not like I'm saying I told you so. It's just kind of how it unfolded. When, you know, the the worst thing for coaches in the Super Bowl is that long, long, I mean, it was an hour and ten minutes from the last possession that the Falcons had to the first possession the Falcons had for the second half. And that long, long break at halftime, I really think, played into the Patriots' favor because it gave Belichick, who doesn't need much time to make adjustments, it gave him extra time to make adjustments. It cooled off what was a really hot Falcon team. And then, you know, I think the bottom line was that number 12, who missed some throws in the first half, didn't miss very many in the second half. And, you know, it's amazing how you can coach all you want about finished games and, you know, but when, when... when uh, Edelman made that catch, I really think that was the turning point because I think then the the noose got really, really tight on the Falcons' neck, and they lose the overtime coin toss and give the ball back to New England. Now, they had played 96 plays yeah. defense in that game, and you just can't do that. You know, and I don't care what league you're playing in, you can't do that. Yeah, well, that, that, you're right. The time of possession w- was pretty slanted by the end of the game. One more quick one for you, Jeff. I follow you on Twitter. Why are you always uh-huh. shouting at me? Bro, <laughs> here's the bottom line with that. Like, I have to explain this about tw- twice a week. Oh. My eyes are so... Uh, first of all, I can't spell, right? <laughs> and then you, you, you mix that 
with the fact that I can't see. So if you can't spell and you can't see, you got some issues on social media. And so I use capital letters because that's my best chance of catching myself spelling something wrong or reading. So everybody asked me, I was like, what? Dude, slow down. You don't have to get so excited. It's not that big a deal. I said, it's not, it isn't that big a deal, but I'm that blind. So. All right. Well, that, that's a good, perfectly logical answer. Jeff, it was great to have you on the show. I appreciate uh, you know you telling some stories from your CFL career. And, uh, uh, you know, Hamilton uh, remains a danger. I, I People know on this show, I always am pumping Zach Kalaros' tires, and I wish we'd seen more of him the last few years because he's been hurt uh, a fair bit. But all the best as you get ramped up for the new season, Jeff. I appreciate that. we got to keep that. We got to keep that guy on his feet, keep him upright. And we got a chance to be a pretty good football team, I think. And, you know, again, I think Eskimo fans got to be excited about their club. And, you know, they're doing a great job in the offseason getting guys re-signed. And, you know, it's there is no offseason in pro football. It's, you know, the way it is. Free right on. See the draft, and then away we go again. Thanks for making time for us, Jeff. Oh, it's my pleasure, brother. Thank you. That is Jeff Reinbold checking in on Inside Sports, the defensive coordinator for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. My goodness, what an amazing story about the team credit card bouncing as they're trying to fly out and the plane just stops. <laughs> you can't take off until you pay us. The Las Vegas Posse, 1994. Incredible. Inside Sport. Oh, the Penguins tied it with the Flames. 2-2, left. Inside Sports on Chet. JC Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. So, Flames and Penguins about to go to overtime. We'll keep you updated on that one. The Boston Bruins fired head coach Claude Julien today. He'd been there since 07 08, won the cup in 2011. Bruins are 26, 20, uh, 26, 23, and 6 on the season. Joel Quenville, now the longest serving coach in the NHL. The Bruins uh, under fire a bit for doing the firing on the same day the uh, Patriots hold their Super. Super Bowl parade. <laughs> Maybe uh, trying to hide the news a little bit, but uh, that's okay. Boston uh, in a tough push to make the playoffs. All right, Eskimo schedule is out. Check 630ched.com for the details. It's a luxury and it's definitely a blessing to be able to play hockey and get paid to do that. So not many people get that opportunity. Inside Sports presents Live in the Dream. Live in the Dream, love doing this segment. We feature someone involved in hockey in a pro league that is not the NHL. Mark Hollick, I first knew this man several years ago. He's now coaching H.C. Pustertal in Brunico, Italy, and I'm pleased to catch up with Mark now. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Reed. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing well. It's it's great to catch up with you because uh, this is a, a follow-up of our uh, mini interviews in the narrow visitor's hallway of the Lloydminster Civic Center about uh, 12 years ago. I'm sure you remember some yeah. of those games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite the building. Ah, oh, man, that was, uh, it seems like a while ago, eh? You were coaching. So you, you coached in the AJHL. Weren't you in the BCHL before that? Was that your junior A resume? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started, 
uh, as an assistant for three years. I think it was 94 I started, and then I go Surrey in 97, I think, and then I think I was there six seasons, and then, and then I think that's when I came to St. Albert for three, and then Vernon for one, Kootenay for three, and back to the American League up uh, working for the Anaheim Ducks there with the American League team in Syracuse for a couple seasons, and and then uh, Prince George in here, so it's been on yeah, well, it's it's amazing where hockey can take people, and that's why I love doing this segment. Uh, you know, you mentioned four seasons in Prince George, and now coaching in uh, in in Italy. How, how did this job opportunity come up, and, and why did you decide to to take the leap and, and head over to Europe? Uh, well, I don't know. It's uh, I think at this time in my career, I mean, uh, you know, again having coached in, <coughs> excuse me in the American League and and. Uh, uh, and then, you know, Major Junior spent, uh, I think it was three and a half seasons in Prince George Street in Kootenay. And, um, you know, and thereafter, you know, just the decision to, to get out of PG and, um, you know, the mutual decision there that, uh, you know, kind of left me almost with nothing to really do. So, um, you know, sniffed around North America a little bit, but... Uh, you know, this this came up. I uh, kind of interviewed over the telephone in May, and long story short, July got an offer. And talking to some people that have um, worked out here, and specifically have worked in Italy, uh, you know, it worked out. And then just decided to to take a run at it. And you know, it's uh, it's it's a very uh, it's, it was a real good decision for me. You know, personally, professionally, I think it was a real good uh, time to come over here. I, I always love asking Canadians about the uh, the culture transition, the language transition. And when you and I were speaking, uh, you know, when we reconnected and we were talking about doing this interview, you had an interesting story about the language. You're in Italy, but I understand that doesn't mean it's necessarily uh, Italian that's being used most of the time. Yeah, that's correct. It's, uh, it's probably 80-90% German. Um, and then it's a German dialect at that. So if you if you learned German in school and you come here and speak that, uh, they probably would stare at you funny. But uh, so you got to learn a little bit here and there, both languages, Italian and German. Street signs are in both, and everything at the stores are in both. So you got to try and uh, wade your way through it. But most of the uh, younger people in town, you know, twenty-ish and, and younger, are speaking. Uh, English in school, they get taught uh, the three languages. So, communicating in stores or what have you, if you if you kind of gravitate toward the younger people, and uh, they, they they'll help you out. So it's been it's been a real good adjustment, learning a little bit in both languages, which is uh, which is good. Now, where are most of your players from? And I'm also curious, what language are you coaching in, so you can actually get your yeah. message across. Uh, no, I'm coaching straight English. All the guys speak English real well. Sometimes if I'm a little too fast or using some terms they're not familiar with, it gets a little bit lost. But uh, for the most part, it's been awesome. And, and uh, we have four import players. The rest are Italians. Um, so we have uh, Wacy Rabbit, who played in the Western League. Uh, Shane Weed played in the Western Hockey League. I think with Tamlins and Brandon. Court, University of Calgary. Defenseman and uh, um, Max uh, Shrolkoff, we just picked up. He's from Latvia, so we have three Canadians, one Latvian, and uh, it's been great. The guys have been awesome. They all have day jobs. We practice in the evenings. Everybody goes to work during the day, and uh, they come here. We're usually on the ice 
7 o'clock at night for an hour, hour 15-ish. And uh, it's it's really neat to see these guys going to work all day, coming here and working just as hard on the ice. So it's, uh, it's refreshing for me. Well, that's pretty pretty cool. Tell me about, I mean, you come from Canada where hockey is is life and death, you know, maybe even sometimes too much so. But uh, yeah, what's, yeah. what's the passion for the team there and the following that you have? Well, and that's kind of what I said. It was good for me to, to kind of maybe get out of that life and death for a while. And, uh, I mean, they're passionate here. I mean, you drop a couple in a row, you're, you're getting a couple of squirty looks here and there. But fortunately for us, we've got a real good season to date. Um, and I, like I said, the guys have worked real hard. But uh, uh, the fans are awesome. Uh, the rink, you know, we have probably getting in the 2500 range. It's open air. There's uh, you know a hole in the roof. The walls are wide open. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, it uh, it got pretty cold there. So when you're playing at night or practicing at night, it gets uh, it's like practice. Well, basically, it is outdoors. So um, you know you got to prepare for that and you know that type of stuff. But the fans are great. They got a uh, very loyal following. Make lots of noise. It's very similar to soccer. Uh, European soccer, lots of noise, lots of drums, lots of chanting, and uh, it was a real surprise for me to, to see that and see the way the people they come home and away, and it's uh, it's real good. Mark Hollick joining us inside sports on 6:30. Chetty's coaching in uh, Brunico, Italy, as we have our living the dream segment here on the show. So, transition-wise, as a coach, just I mean, you know, in Canada, we talk about the European style, the larger ice surface. You know, some people will say the game is is less physical, that there's less intimidation. I I, I don't know. Are, are those stereotypes that maybe aren't so true, or, uh, or how have you found that? Well, you got the you got the bigger rink here, Reed, and. Uh you know, I've I've coached really uh, the only way I know how, and that's uh, the same principles that uh, I was taught in North America. You know, we want to make sure we're a hardworking group. We're on our details. Our habits are good. Our structure is good. And, uh, you know, we've got extra extra ice that I'm used to, and uh, let's make use of it. There's not a whole lot of dump and chase. Some teams maybe still trap it up a little bit at our level, but... Uh, you know, I encourage our guys to, to have that puck and want that puck and, um, you know, play with structure. And obviously in the defensive zone, we want good habits and details, like I said. But uh, at the end of the day, we want the puck and we want teams to, to make sure that they adjust us and, and not so much us to them. And we've got a great group of kids and they've bought right in. And um, and that's, I say kids, because half our team is probably 19 and younger. So wow. we have a, a younger group of guys that... Uh, we're trying to move and get accustomed to this level, and and it's been awesome. The older guys have, you know, taken me in, and uh, the transition has been has been smooth. But the game uh, for me is just uh, the same. These guys uh, just work hard. Just make sure we got lots of structure and take some input from them. If I have any questions, uh, they're real good at at, at uh, helping me along the way. Have you met many Canadians? Uh, yeah, uh, Clayton Bettles is coaching in Dipitano, which is uh, the German name of Sturzing. So there's there's a two. <laughs> so uh, he's up there. He's from Red Deer, and he was in the Western Hockey League with the Rebels for a little bit. And uh, um, Joe West is coaching in Kitzbühel. He's Canadian, played his junior hockey uh, probably 20-plus years ago in, in Western Canada. And, uh, yeah, so he bumped into a couple of guys. And our league meetings were run also by the A-Bell League, the EL League in uh, Austria and uh, you know Rob Doms in Austria there Greg Holst a couple of North American guys that I uh, 
you know, I see them at the meetings and what have you. So, yeah, I was, uh, it's real good. And players, you always bump into some players that you either have come across coaching with or coaching against. And, um, you know, like I said, it's been a great experience and I uh, wouldn't trade it for anything. All right, the, the question, next question here, totally unrelated to sports, but I, I have to ask it. How's the food? <laughs> Oh, you know what? The food's awesome. You you, uh, you, well, you you don't get a bad meal. If you're going out to eat here somewhere, you are not getting a bad meal. The pizza, the pasta, I mean, the wine is outstanding. I mean, this is this reminds me a lot of the Okanagan Valley. We've got, we've got some wineries around here and obviously the ski hills and, and what have you. So uh, it, it reminds me of my days in Cranbrook, growing, you know, half of my life growing up in Penticton and Kelowna area. So um, very, very similar. And then when you get into the uh, mountains going into Austria and into Munich, I mean, it's very similar to, you know, Calgary, Canmore, those types of areas. So it's uh, uh, it's a great, great experience. But touch on the food, it's it's pretty good. So you got to be careful. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, at least you're, you're burning it off with the uh, semi-outdoor practices. It, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Mark, it was great to catch up with you. I guess just quickly, we should ask how the um, how the team is doing. This is kind of crunch time for you guys now, eh? It's getting close to the end. Uh, good. Yeah. You know, I think the team, 30-game uh, uh, regular season, I believe we won 26 of them. We lost three, and I think we had an OT loss somewhere along the way. And then, um, you know, I think uh, in the master round, we've got a, a win and a, a loss and an OT loss and an overtime win, too. So it's... Uh, it's been all over the map as far as the master round, but it's the top six, and it's uh, you know it gets harder and harder every single game. So our guys have answered the bell. We can stay healthy. I think we got an opportunity here to to maybe do something. You know, it's the first time the Swiss Alps League has been operating and feather uh, in the guys' cap to to say that they were the first team to win. It. Well, right on. Well, it sounds like you're having a great time. The The team is doing great, and uh, it, it's uh, it's awesome to catch up with you, Mark, because uh, we got that AJHL connection. So uh, I'll keep following yeah. your team in the uh, in the Alps Hockey League, and, and I hope we can do this again, man. Yeah, Reed, thanks for reaching out. I appreciate it. No problem. Living the dream with Mark Hollick, coach of HC Pustertal in the Alps Hockey League. Some interesting uh, stuff there. Mark and I had a chance to speak a little bit to set up that interview, and he says he coaches in blue jeans. Took a bunch of suits over there, and the team general manager was like, what are you doing? This isn't work. We don't wear suits <laughs> to, the, to the game. So a little, uh, little more casual than the hockey lifestyle here for sure. Calgary and Pittsburgh now in a shootout. We might have a final by the time we get back. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. <laughs> This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Well, a little Jeff Leppard coming back from break. Savior. Did you get your tickets, Kellen? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Not interested? For bad I uh, saw them a couple of years ago, so... I'm I'm good for one's this good tour. for you. I think this will be nine for me. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And, uh, June second. Yeah. Unless the Oilers are in the Stanley Cup final, then I, I won't be able to go. I kind of went a little overboard with uh, both the WrestleMania package I bought into and the Guns N' Roses package uh, for the show here. So those are my two big things this year. Are you going to WrestleMania? I am. Is it in April? Yes. Where uh, is it? Orlando Citrus Bowl. And you've been a couple times before, haven't you? Uh, just once before, yeah. New Orleans, I want to say? Yes. Cool. Yes. 
Yeah. All right, Flames win 3-2 in a shootout over the Penguins. You know, the Ford World Curling Championships are going to be in Edmonton April 1st to 9th, and they're uh, starting to ramp up some of the uh, excitement about it information about ticket sales and all that kind of stuff. Dave Campbell has posted a story on 630Ched.com and he also has spoken to Edmonton curler and uh, current world champ Mark Kennedy. Well, the last hurrah at Northlands Coliseum, it's been called many things over the years. Uh, Rexall Place at one time. Skyreach uh, Center. Skyreach Center. Uh, Rexall Place had a pr- has a pretty good memory for you. I know back in 2009, but the chance to possibly play in this, but more significantly for Edmonton, that you know another major curling event is coming to this city. What, what does it mean? Well, it means a lot because I don't think there's another city in the country that's had as successful a curling events as Edmonton has. Mm-hmm. You, know, you go back a long way, for me, back to 99 and then again the Worlds in, in 07, the Briar in 05, setting attendance records, mm-hmm. just having this vibe in the building that curling was special and important. Right at the times when you had the, the, the Furbies and the Martins and the best teams in the world and it was truly a special place for hockey or for curling maybe at a time when hockey wasn't so great mm-hmm. you know so it was uh it was a special thing to be a part of i was lucky to be there in 09 for the olympic trials that was unbelievable and mm-hmm. you know it is memorable as well for how cold it was you know, it was we were the second coldest place on earth the day that we won <laughs> i remember it well that was the headline in the paper we were minus 50 <laughs> with the wind chill so but great memories and then again the briar in 2013 you know we didn't play great but uh great crowds great support, lots of friends and family, and just and a special building to curl in, yeah. Did you call Edmonton like the curling hotbed of Canada, you think? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's only going to grow as you know, young curlers like Kelsey Rock and Kristen Streifel and this program they have at the Savile Centre that's just, you know, basically a breeding ground for the future of curling talent in this country. So Edmonton is the hotbed of curling and, and will be for a while. You go back to 2009 and just the the moment that you were able to enjoy with with Kevin Martin and then going to the Olympics and winning but you mentioned 2005 and and the void that maybe it filled because uh, there was no hockey at the time and you know there was a lockout and hockey wasn't great but curling was able to stand on its own two feet wasn't it yeah it was and you're right at a time when people were just dying to cheer for something mm-hmm. and you saw it in the attendance numbers people came out and cheered and and loved it and and at the time we had one of the best curling teams of all time playing with with Furby and Edwin and getting to watch them and yeah it, it did stand on its own and there's very few places in the country that you could say that that would have happened and Edmonton was one of them so I think we I know I do and I think a lot of Edmontonians take pride in the fact that uh, it was such a successful event so it's kind of weird this week because the uh, the Boston Pizza Cup begins tomorrow in Westlock that's for the uh, right to go to the Briar which will be in Newfoundland you don't have to play in it because the new format is there's a Team Canada oh heck you're Team Canada so you don't have to play what's that going to be like just to sit on the sidelines and watch Uh, you know what I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> I think it would be nice to have some competitive games, but just getting a chance to sit back and watch these guys beat each other up for a few yeah. days is nice because we've had some grueling, grueling provincials over the years. There's never a guarantee of winning, so knowing we have our spot is uh, is great. And I, I'm going to head out there and watch, and my brother's playing with Jamie King and get a chance to get out there and cheer him on as well as some other friends. Uh, I think it's going to be relaxing and kind of nice. I'm going to enjoy it. And your brother Glenn, right? Yeah, my brother Glenn. He's, he's never played in a briar and uh 
you know, with the way the field is this year, he might surprise a few teams, so we'll head out there and support him as much as we can. First time in, what, 20 years, uh, no Kevin Martin, no uh, no Randy Furby, uh, no Kevin Cooey in this ah, event. It's crazy. So who's going to win this thing? Who, who's the favorite? Well, you, you got to think Charlie Thomas and Brandon Botcher are the favorites, mm-hmm. um, but there's so many, there's so much depth in Alberta, a lot of names that people don't know of, you know, Roland Robinson and Ted Appleman and Mick Lismore, there's some guys that could do some real damage, so I'm not I'm not picking anyone, but I, I think if you you probably have a botcher and Charlie Thomas somewhere in the playoffs, and mm-hmm. maybe mix in a Jamie King, and it could be an interesting weekend. Uh, one more for you before we uh, finish up here, and uh, we had you and Kelsey Rock in studio on on this very show with uh, with Reed. Uh, Kelsey Rock had a big moment uh, today, winning a gold medal at the university. Had uh, just another notch in the belt, and what a, what a future she has. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I've got to know Kelsey a little bit over the last couple of years and we're very proud of her obviously and the, the reason it's a big notch in the belt is it's not easy to win overseas mm-hmm. uh, especially in a place like Kazakhstan where I assume the you know the ice is probably wasn't great yeah. and the food was tough and you're a long way away from home and <laughs> and to be able to perform under those conditions is a is a huge step for her and yeah we're super proud of her and she is the future of curling in Canada and, and this province and uh, we're all rooting for her and we're all happy for her well all the best to you uh, we'll see you in Newfoundland and maybe we'll see you uh, in Edmonton on the ice in early April. Last hurrah at uh, Northlands. Yeah, let's hope so. St. John's isn't going to be easy, but uh, it'd be great to be back here in Edmonton. Thanks, Dave. Mark Kennedy talking with our Dave Campbell and more on the upcoming Men's World Curling Championships on 630Ched.com. Also get the Eskimos schedule there. The Sabres came back from a 4-1 deficit to beat the Sharks 5-4 in overtime. The Flames knock off the Penguins 3-2 in a shootout. Rangers over the Ducks 4-1. Capitals blank the Hurricanes 5-zip. So, by the way, the Oilers, uh, because the Ducks lost, the Oilers uh, stay tied for second place in the Pacific Division with them. Third period for these next batch of games. Maple Leafs, three stars, one. Blues up 5-0 on the Senators. Columbus and Detroit tied 2-2. Lightning leading the Kings 5-0. After two, it's Nashville 2, Vancouver 1, Wild 3, Jets 2. And after one, Colorado with a 1-0 edge on Montreal. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, the studio producer this evening. Thanks to our guests. You heard from Mark Hollick, Jeff Reinbold, and Ryan King. Really appreciate everybody that called and texted tonight. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. My name is Reed Wilkins. We're back tomorrow. Kevin Karius will be in studio. We'll talk a little bit about the Chinook Hockey League. Getting ready for the playoffs and the Allen Cup playdowns. Always love that time of year. Coming up to the 8 o'clock news. This has been Inside Sports on 630 Jet. Charles Adler tonight is next. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.